But last week, I, I, I quoted a verse that, that has really come to mean a lot to me. And Paul writes that he resolved to know nothing but Jesus. And that was really his path towards experiencing the power of God rather than just talking about God. And so really, these next three weeks are, are what does it mean to get rid of the distractions and really discover who Jesus really is? And no matter where you're at on this journey, asking questions is important and knowing that, that Jesus can withstand our questions, our concerns, our struggles, our doubts. Right? Asking good questions is really important. A man once asked God how long a million years was to him, and God replied, a million years to you, or excuse me, a million years to me is like a second in your lifetime. Then the man asked, well, what's a million dollars to you like? And he said, well, to me, a million dollars is like a penny to you. So the man mustered up some courage and asked, well, could I, could I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and God said, sure, just a second. <laughs> yes, yes. And so what questions we ask matters. And actually, when Jesus was walking planet Earth with his followers, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And there were certainly some people that were already angry at Jesus, frustrated. They were not believing his message whatsoever. But then there were others who truly respected him. They saw him as a great teacher, a, a great prophet. Some even referred to him as Elijah. And some were beginning to say that he was the Messiah. That he was the son of God. Some disregarded Jesus, some respected Jesus, and some actually came to follow and trust and love Jesus. But then Jesus asked an even more critical question of his disciples. He actually looked them in the eye and said, who do you say I am? And, and they had to wrestle through this. Are, are they going to disregard Jesus? Or are they going to respect Jesus? Or are they going to truly trust him and follow after him? There are lots of opinions about Jesus then and now. People who think of Jesus as a great teacher, a great prophet, a, a guru, some who believe he's God, others say a, a giant hoax or a myth. Maybe you fall in the category of seeing Jesus more like Ricky Bobby saw Jesus, the big baby Jesus with gold leaf diapers, or the convenience store Jesus, the one who meets our needs of convenience. Or have you come to see him as the Messiah, the Son of God? C.S. Lewis was an incredibly smart man, a professor at Oxford. And in his journey of skepticism, he, he came to look at the claims and really describe Jesus as, as landing in one of these three categories. Either he truly is who he said he is, and he is the Lord. He is the one worth following. Or he's a lunatic or he's a liar. And actually, C.S. Lewis came to embrace Jesus as Lord. And actually, you know him perhaps from some of his books that he's written, including the Chronicles of Narnia. But what I want us to wrestle with today and next week and the week after is, I want you to consider Jesus asking you that same question he asked his followers. Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? 
If you say Jesus is Lord, does your life reflect a life patterned after him, apprenticing after him? Before we jump into who is Jesus, we have to first ask the question, who is God? In the history of humanity, uh, people believe in God or gods. Atheism is actually a new thing in the last couple hundred years. But there's a, a popular parable that's been around that maybe you've heard. And it seems to speak to where a lot of people are in our society. There are four blind men who come upon an elephant. And the first blind man feels its trunk and says an elephant is like a hose. Another blind man comes across the elephant and feels the side of the elephant and describes, no, no, the elephant is a wall. Well, the third blind man feels the tail of the elephant and says, oh no, the elephant is like a snake. Well, the fourth blind man found the elephant's leg and said, no, no, the elephant is like a tree. See, this parable, it, it's, it, it seems to indicate that that humanity is all trying to describe the same God just in different ways. It's this idea that all the world's religions are grabbing hold of the same God, the elephant, but in our limited capacity, we comprehend just a little bit. It's this idea that all religions are, are looking at the same God. And you can see that there's probably some truth to this, that 90% of humanity today believes in God or gods. And what's really remarkable is that Within every culture on our planet, there's an intrinsic moral code that we tend to know the difference between right and wrong. Doesn't matter which culture we come from. Well, where does that come from? This intrinsic awareness of right from wrong. Well, Romans 2 talks about it like this. Even though they do not have the law of Moses, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. So see, it's very possible that this intrinsic moral code, this knowing the difference between a right and wrong, no matter where you were born, no matter what religious tradition you come from, was put there by God, the one who created us. So if the world's religions are all saying that there, there is this commonality, a, a moral code cross-culturally, then it makes sense that, that some would think that there's all these paths all still leading to the same place unless God actually revealed himself. See, the problem with this analogy is that all the men describing the elephant are blind. But what if one who has seen the elephant came to describe? Rather than trusting in the, the blind man's description, the descriptions of different men who, who only saw a part of this elephant, what if we could know what the elephant looks like from one who's actually seen him? And what if God himself comes to reveal himself? See, this was what was on Jesus's mind on his last night before he was crucified. John 14, he was telling his followers he's about to go away, telling them that he's about to give his life, to lay down his life. And this bothered them, as you can imagine. Listen to his words in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Later, Thomas is referred to as Doubting Thomas. But I like Thomas because he's honest. He starts asking Jesus questions. See, Jesus was claiming he had come from God and was returning to God. Claiming that God was his father is an audacious claim in and of itself. But he describes in this last night with his disciples that his motive is love. That he would lay down his life for all of humanity, that all who are willing to surrender themselves, to ask him for the forgiveness that only he can offer, can have a relationship with him. And that he would rise from the dead. See, trouble was coming and, and they were anxious. They were nervous. Things were not coming together as they'd hoped. Some were hoping that Jesus would bring about a political revolution and change the circumstances, that Rome would no longer be this oppressive regime in their life, that Israel would have freedom. See, sometimes it's easy when we read the scriptures to, to look at these characters and, and to be judgmental. Man, if I was walking with Jesus, I would never have turned my back on him like Judas. I would have never doubted like Thomas. Or then when we read the story of the Pharisees, these religious leaders who actually plotted to kill Jesus, we think, I, I would be nothing like that. I mean, think of what's happening. In their minds, they're losing control. God was doing something new, something different than they wanted him to do. And I think if we're honest, if we're honest about where we are, sometimes we want to be God. Sometimes our prayers are actually telling God what must be done as if we know what's best. And if we're not careful, like the religious leaders, when we don't get our way, when we don't get what we ask from God, we want to have nothing to do with him. Or we kill God in our life. See, the scriptures tell us in John 8, as Jesus confronted these religious leaders, he says, you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. He's saying, I've seen the elephant. I've come to explain to those who are blind what you can now see. But Jesus didn't fit into their preconceived ideas. They were closed-minded. And when we're closed-minded, we can actually become hostile towards God. I think if we were to evaluate our journey with God, we might find moments of closed-mindedness when God was doing something or asking of us something that we were not ready to give. See, Jesus is saying, you gotta trust me. It may not all make sense right now, but you gotta trust me. See, trust is what matters most. Trusting God and trusting in him, that's the currency of relationship. Relationship with open-hearted people is what God wants most. So here was this moment where Thomas is saying, we don't know where you're going. Jesus, what are you doing? How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says these words in John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Now, this is an audacious claim. He was not just a great teacher or prophet. He's saying, I am the way. And you may be thinking, well, the way to what? He says he's the truth. Truth about what? He's the life. What kind of life? And that's what we're really looking at today in these next two weeks. See, Jesus is claiming to be the way to God. And in fact, no one comes to God except through him. And in our culture, we think that sounds quite narrow-minded. I mean, is Jesus being arrogant here? Is he being intolerant? Well, think about this. If Jesus truly is God walking among us and he's telling us, hey, I'm the one you're looking for, then this is not audacious at all. It's the truth that he's explaining to us what we've been looking for. That's not intolerant or unfair. It's him showing us the way. Have you ever just wished you could understand the big picture of why you're here and what's going on with the circumstances and challenges of life? God is trying to tell us, I'm here. I'm here to help you. I'm here because I love you. And are we willing to listen to him, even if his help doesn't come the way we want it to? If he's telling us the truth, then this is not a limiting claim. He's revealing God to us in a way that we can understand. So if knowing and loving God is your desire, if you want to understand who God is and connect with the creator of the universe to find your purpose in life, then wouldn't we want to at least have an open mind to the possibility that he's already come and revealed himself? What's interesting is when you, when you look at different worldviews, no one else made such an audacious claim as Jesus. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I and the Father are one. I'm going back to my Father and coming back for you. See, not all claims are the same. Buddha claimed to know the way to end suffering, but he never claimed to know God and wasn't sure if there was a God. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God. Confucius claimed to know the best way to live in our world. Lao Tzu of Taoism claimed to know how to live in harmony with the way of nature. And Hinduism has so many different gods along the way. Isn't it worth looking at what Jesus said, looking at what he did before making a decision about how to live our life? See, only one has claimed to be God's self-revelation and has done so much that it has changed the world. I mean, just consider Jesus's impact on the world. I mean, as a kid, I was fascinated by time, this idea that there was time was split in two by Jesus. There's before Jesus and then after Jesus. That's pretty amazing. But even more remarkable is how Jesus has inspired more hope more acts of compassion and kindness than any other person in history. Think of all the hospitals around the world that were created out of the motivation of people who say they follow Jesus. The hospital we have in India and so many more around the planet. He is the central character of the best-selling, most widely translated book in history, the Bible. And yes, Let's be honest, there are a lot of religious people who have done a lot of terrible things in the name of Jesus. See, they're trying to connect to his power and his credibility that they do not have. 
But if you look at the person of Jesus and, and the way that Jesus, when he becomes the leader of someone's life, can actually transform someone. When we, you can see the power, not just the talk. There's something different about Jesus. See, these claims are crazy. They're audacious, but they could be everything you've been looking for. And not just as someone who might be a skeptic or a seeker or someone who has doubts, someone who might genuinely have faith, but our default is actually not to trust God. I mean, if we're honest, we all are apprenticing after someone, but it may not be after Jesus. I mean, maybe you grew up in a wonderful home, but there were some things about your parents you didn't care for. The next thing you know, you have kids and you can hear your dad through your mouth. <laughs> you were apprenticed by your parents for good and for bad. You were apprenticed by your boss, by even others that might follow Jesus. We pick up their good habits and their bad habits. But what if we were to push all of that aside and actually try to emulate the one who revealed God to us? See, it's important that we just not reject Jesus because of what others have done, because of what others have said, but to actually look at who he is and consider, am I following after him? Do I even know what he says and what he did so that I can emulate him? I can be his apprentice. See, too many times we, we reject Jesus because of what we've heard. Kind of like a little girl, I heard this story about a Sunday school teacher attempting to teach her young students about the true meaning of Easter. And so she asked the kids, why do we celebrate Easter? And of course, the kids go to move. Easter eggs, candy, bunnies, right? Not what she wanted. So she pressed in again. No, those are symbols. Those are traditions surrounding Easter. But what is the true meaning of Easter? One little girl got so excited and raised her hand. She says, Easter celebrates Jesus coming out of the tomb. The Sunday school teacher was so excited. Yes, that's right. And she tried to press into that moment. She, she said, well, Jesus arose from the tomb and what does he do for us? And the little girl, just so encouraged by having the right answer, says, well, he comes out to look and see if he can see his shadow. <laughs> and if he can, he goes back for another six weeks. So close, right? Just a little bit off. See, sometimes we don't have the full story and we reject the part of the story that's come through broken people. People who misrepresented or maliciously misquoted or used religion as their means to control or manipulate. See, when we look at the person of Jesus and really look with an open mind to see what he said and what he did, you'll discover it, he was quite audacious, quite subversive, quite revolutionary. And, and you might be thinking, you know, I, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Like, I love the idea of loving God and loving people. And, you know, Jesus is, is my homie. Like, I love Jesus in a, in a, in a cool kind of way. I like Jesus in that way. But why does he have to go into this thing about being God? He had me, but then he lost me. I mean, if he is God, if he's the Messiah, the Son of God, if he's the Lord, then that actually means I have to live differently if I surrender myself to him. 
Who do you say Jesus is? Don't fall into the trap of those who crucified him. Be open-minded and open-hearted, realizing that Jesus is the way to know God. Even his closest followers struggled to grasp this. Listen to uh, his conversation, Jesus' conversation with Philip. Philip said in chapter 14, Lord, show us the Father. Right after Jesus said, I am the way, he says, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He's still not quite grasping what he's saying. So Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In essence, Jesus says, listen to what I've been saying. And if you're having trouble with that, then look at what I've done. If we're having trouble truly aligning our life with God's heart for us, seeing him as the way and following after his ways. Remember, he's the clearest picture of the unseen God, the most tangible, relatable representation. Jesus is saying, if you're having trouble, just see what I said. Just look at what I have done. Do you, do you know the teachings of Jesus? Have you, have you looked at what he has to say? And it's amazing, it's beautiful what he has to say. And, and yet he, he calls us to this high level of living that is impossible to pull off without his help. It's this beautiful invitation to a whole new way of living and a relationship with the one who created us. A few years ago, a young man was coming to Gateway South who grew up Muslim and he was exploring faith. And so he began to read the scriptures and he had been reading the Quran, he was on this spiritual quest, and, and in a conversation he explained what he found as the difference between the Quran and the Bible. He says this, I've read the Quran, and I've read the Bible. They are basically saying the same thing about morality, but there's one difference. It's grace. See, Jesus taught about God's grace, he says, that he freely forgives our sins and shortcomings and is willing to enter into life with us to help us. That's the difference. And Orhan ended up becoming someone who follows Jesus. See, if you think about it this way, religion, even Christianity, Islam, every religion is man's attempt of getting to God. But what Jesus says is, look, you don't have to try to get to me. I've already come to you. It's already been done. It's not about what you need to do. I've done it. I've come to you. And all of these commandments and these laws and these rules and the eightfold path and the five pillars, all these are like tutors showing us that we need God's help. We can't possibly pull off a life that matches what it takes to get into God's presence, but we don't have to because he came to us. There's a researcher named George Barna. He did a survey of non-church-going people and asked them two things. First, he asked them to describe Jesus. Here are the words they described Jesus with. Wise compassionate, accepting, courageous, loving, sacrificial, good, generous, powerful. Even in our culture, he is beloved. And then he asked the second question. You can see maybe where this is headed. How would you describe people who call themselves Christians? 
And these non-church-going folks said, they're judgmental, they're stingy, joyless, fearful, critical, mean, argumentative, weak, closed-minded, hypocritical. Okay, that's enough, right? And so Barna wondered, how can those who call themselves followers of, of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, be so different than Jesus? It's because so many don't actually connect their heart to what their head believes. See, many Christians who believe in Jesus don't apprentice under Jesus. See, we forget that Jesus not only shows us the way to God, he shows us the way to be human. He was 100% human and 100% God revealed. One of the best ways, if you're here and you're not really sure and you're not even sure how to get started. I did this little experiment years ago uh, with a friend. Uh, this was when we lived in Seattle. And I, and I encouraged her, I said, why don't you read the Gospel of John? My encouragement to all of you as well. You can just Google it, Gospel of John. Or we have little books in the back. Or if you have a Bible somewhere at your house, just the Gospel of John. And I said, just read one chapter a day and just pray, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And just notice the character of God and the character of Jesus. And so for a week, after I gave her a Bible, she prayed, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And then she'd read a chapter. Well, a week later, I saw her and I said, well, what happened? What do you think? And she's like, I wasn't sure there even was a God. And now I see him everywhere. I said, really, what happened? She said, I'd never owned a Bible in my life. And then you gave me a Bible and I started praying, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And then the next day, my mom gave me a Bible. I didn't even know my mom had a Bible. And then two days later, a coworker came up to me and said, hey, I've been meaning to give you this and gave me another Bible. I only need one Bible. But as I've been praying, God, if you're real, show me. He's become so real, I can't ignore him anymore. See, I wonder if you're going through life with open eyes or are you stuck in only seeing that which is right in front of you, missing what God is doing and who he is and what he wants to do. See, Jesus shows us the way to God, but he also shows us the way to live, the way we could live with his help. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. See, fully human, so we can follow him as the way to be the best version of ourselves. Or in Hebrews 2, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, he walked with us on planet earth. He knows what you face, and he's there to help you face it when we trust him, when we choose to follow him, when we choose to let him lead us to, to be his apprentice, becoming like him. See, an apprentice is a disciple, a follower. It, the TV show has ruined it. That's not what we're talking about at all. But see, it's, there is this, this idea of a master craftsman taking an apprentice under his or her wing, watching what they did, and then learning how to do the very things they saw. See, you and I can learn to live like Jesus when we begin to see God's character and how he treated people. He will never force us. But are you willing to 
be serious about following after him? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he did? Do you see what he's asking you to do and to become? Jesus tells us he loves us. He chooses us. He came for us. And that all that's required of us is our hearts surrendered to him, acknowledging we need his help. We need to be forgiven. We need him to guide us to be our leader. And what's amazing is not only did he die on the cross from us, but he rose from the dead. And his spirit lives within everyone who says yes to Jesus. I mean, think of what Jesus did. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He taught with authority. He showed love to tax collectors and prostitutes and women caught in the act of adultery. He didn't lead a political revolution or a violent overthrow. He didn't amass an army. Instead, he subverted evil by restoring good into the hearts of those willing to follow him. If Jesus was not God, I sure hope God is a lot like Jesus. Do you see his love for you? Demonstrated so many times, but it's so easy to be like the blind men, acknowledging who God is based on a lack of what we see. He's come to show us the way. One of the great ways into understanding who Jesus is is through the scriptures. The Bible is like a portal into God's presence. And I've seen that happen in my life that there have been seasons when I would jump right into the Bible. Like I said earlier, the Gospel of John, which says, I have written this so that you might believe. In fact, we have a, a great resource for you. If you're not sure how to read and apply the scriptures to your life, tonight we're starting a Gateway University course on how to follow Jesus using the scriptures. All of our Gateway U classes are available at the Connect spot for more information. But I've found myself just getting distracted or becoming too busy. And then I realized how much I read about the Clippers or the Cowboys, how much I read in the news, or I think back to my college days and all the textbooks I tried to read and pretended to read. And the, I think of all the business books and self-help books and, and think of all the TV shows. I don't know if you're like me, but my DVR, it's, it's almost like my to-do list sometimes. I just want to watch it so I can delete it. There's so many things that are getting in the way. See, the problem is that I don't have enough time. The problem is that we don't have enough time. The problem is we don't take seriously our faith in a way that could be transformative. There's a, the first life group I was a part of here at Gateway. We all had these goals that we set and prayers that we were praying for, for growth, for transformation. And, and we would read a little bit and come together and discuss it. And we would sit together on Sunday mornings and, and there was some real intentionality. And at the end of the 10 weeks, one of the guys brought in his list of goals. He was so excited. His name was Scott. He came to the group that night. He's like, you guys won't believe it. All of my goals I had hoped to see happen, happened. Plus some things I didn't even expect. And right then, right in the middle of his excitement, one of the girls in the youth group or in the, in the life group said, well, none of the things on my list happened. It's like, well, that was kind of a downer. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to think of how do I recapture the moment, kind of redirect. And before I had a chance, she said the most brilliant thing. She said, you know what though, Scott? The difference is you 
worked for it. And I didn't. See, you only get out what you're willing to put in to your spiritual journey. See, God wants to do more than what you could ever ask or imagine. God is doing a new thing. Are you ready? Do you want to see it? it requires surrender and looking at how he lived his life and asking him for the power to live the same way. See, Jesus is a transformative person who still changes life, lives today. Even his name is powerful. So during this next song, I want you to consider what is it that, that God wants you to let go of so that you can be more focused on discovering who he is.